And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. The Athletic Castley rains as it gets wet, wet, wet in New York, New York. Fiesta Cheetah ends wind drought, but Jeb's title hopes dry up. And what does the future hold for NYC E-Pre? All this and more in the race Formula E podcast, New York edition. Hello, I'm Andrew Vanderberg, and joining me today in the sweatiest podcast recording of the season, fresh from the hell of travelling through Heathrow Terminal 3 post-Brexit, is Sam Smith. And we're delighted to be joined by our special guest, none other than Jaguar Racing's title challenger, Mitch Evans. Mitch, great to have you on the show. How are you doing today? I'm good, thanks. Good morning. Um, yeah, thanks for having me on. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Okay, Mitch, I promise we'll be with you soon, but Sam, we've got a lot to unpack, especially from that first race. Okay, firstly, let's talk about the finish and what happened when that flash flood hit the track. Yeah, it all got a bit to Cashy's Castle, didn't it? We just needed Craig Charles to pipe up with Nichols and Dario in the comms box. I mean, interestingly, just before the grid, I bumped into Porsche's Florian Modlinger, who was looking out towards the Hudson and Manhattan. And he said that he reckoned that there was some localised showers coming in. Um, actually, in the first 20 minutes of the race, they, they were delayed. They came a bit later, but Florian was convinced they were coming. And it, and it was all a bit prophetic, really, as we saw this remarkable cloudburst. It, it was just the most insane thing. It was like a cartoon cloud had just sort of hovered above a section of the track and dumped a ton of water on it. I, I've never seen anything like it, really. I mean, the the first to come upon it were the leading trio of Cassidy, Degrassi, and, and Stoffel Van Dorn, and they just all aquaplane straight off. Um, there was a separate shunt behind between Verline, who got rear-ended by Buemi's Nissan. It was just a massive, a massive mess. I mean, three of that five ended up in the turn six barriers, as we saw. It was just one of those accidents that, that make you flinch, really. Obviously, the, the main thing is the, the safety element. They all got away with it, but it, it wasn't necessarily the speed of the shunt. It was just the the, the, the stop, really. You know, when there, when there is that inevitability of an accident or other cars joining that, that carnage, um, there are some drivers there prone and exposed, particularly Cassidy, who got hit twice. I've seen similar shunts to that, one at Alton Park in British GT about 20 years ago, which frankly scared the hell out of me, and I was just spectating. So those kind of things are really, really, really dodgy when they happen. I think it was lucky that Van Dorn hit Cassidy sideways on. If that had been Gearbox first, it could have been really nasty for, for, for Nick. Thankfully, they're all okay. The strength of the Gen 2 cars came into their own there, which was good to see. But just wrong time, wrong place. And you, you also have to factor in as well, to some extent, that you know at that stage of the race, the, the tyres are worn a little bit more. Um, and that you've got, you know, drivers were on their regen paddles as well. So the first three just, you know, they were on the hiding to nothing. They were straight into the wall. Um, others made it through uh, and others got clobbered by some breaking earlier than than they thought and just been incited by it. It was just a, 
it was just an, an an insane, intense localized shower that created absolute merry hell out there. Mitch, what was it like uh, in the car? Because obviously we saw a few onboards, and it, it looked like you know you just got caught up on a wave and would take just aquaplaning off the track. Yeah, it was it was mad. So I, I had uh, my first taste of it coming through the last corner um, and in the the previous lap and uh, I, I couldn't see anything. So I was going down to turn one. I was behind DeVries and, and a bunch of cars, and it was just like a wall of water, which was um, a bit scary. I, I managed to actually overtake DeVries into turn one somehow. Um, and then just the way that, as, as Sam touched on, how, how isolated the, the shower was, it was just hovering around the circuit of, you know, where the last corner was and, and um, turn six and seven where, you know, where the big shunt happened. But like turn one and two, three, four was actually, it was, it was a little bit wet, but it was actually relatively dry. Um, but it wasn't until we got to that back end of the, the back straight where it got really, really nasty. So um, obviously Scott, the, the race director, decided to throw a, a four course yellow, um, but just the timing of where the guys hit the shower was just really unlucky. So for me, I, I was entering four course yellow, uh, you know, during that, that phase of the track where the aquaplaning was really bad. And um, I actually got a penalty and a few of us got penalties for not getting down to the speed um, to 50K because we, you know, it was like almost impossible to, to, to break. Um, so it was, a, it was a bit of a harsh penalty because um, just because of the nature of the, the conditions. But um, yeah, we're, all, we're, I mean, I guess we're a little bit lucky that we're a little bit further behind the, the, you know the front um the, you know the front guys because they uh, obviously just got caught out massively and um it was a pretty nasty nasty thing to watch back because uh, at, at the time i actually had no idea there was cars in the escape but i couldn't even see um cars down there so uh until i saw after with the replays that they were all buried down there together so um yeah a bar- bizarre situation but uh luckily no one hurt sam we'll talk about harsh penalties uh in a second but before then the the rain stopped as quickly as it came along and the light was still good and there was still time left. So why wasn't the race restarted? Good question, this. Very good question. <laughs> it's a question I asked uh, Scott Elkins um, just after um, we knew that the race wasn't going to be restarted. I think in terms of a red flag, first of all, it was clearly obvious that that was probably the right call um, when you've got this uh, this melee in the escape road. Um, but... Before that, with the full course yellow, a few of the drivers I spoke to questioned that and if actually a safety car wouldn't have been a better way to go. Elkin said that full course yellow is the quickest way to stabilise a race in a dangerous situation. And, and and that's correct. You know, it takes drivers have five seconds to get down to the to the required speed, whereas a safety car is a bit more involved, obviously, in terms of getting that procedure in place. But a, a, a full course yellow was was the um the decision made and then the red the real fallout which we'll come on to in shortly but it was whether the race should have been restarted or not that was the fundamental question the rationale for not restarting was was quite varied scott told me that actually had the race have been restarted with i think it was seven minutes 40 odd seconds and, and one lap to go which is a significant time in a race of 45 minutes, of course. It's not as if there was two minutes left and no real point in, in having a, a one-lap sprint to the end. Um, he said that there would have been few actual racing laps anyway because they'd have had to do a few laps behind the safety car, um, pre- that, presuming that they had a safety car start, which you know was the insinuation there. The Tech Pro was damaged but easily replaceable. Um, frankly, the track, from what I saw, dried incredibly quickly because it was just so 
warm there and the sun came out almost immediately. Scott was in consultation with the teams and obviously some had a great deal to gain from not restarting while others had a lot to gain. You know, there was that whole chestnut, of course. Ultimately, it's one man's decision and that decision is informed by consultation with media, um, multiple people and, uh, not the media, <laughs> multiple people and different agencies. There. If only we had such power. <laughs> but, uh, you know, Personally speaking, I'd like to have seen it restarted. I think a lot of others, obviously Jaguar Racing, Jaguar TCS Racing, would have wanted to see it restarted because Mitch was would have been in a, a good position. From from Scott's point of view, you kind of damned if you do, damned if you don't, I guess, in this situation. Because if he had have restarted, then you know, Envision, Merck, and Venturi would have been mightily pissed off. But you know, Jaguar would have been would have been fairly fairly happy about it. Ultimately, though, I always thought that a race would always try to be concluded. I mean, there is no time limit to finishing the race in the sense of restarting it. So why it wasn't restarted, you know, those those reasonings, I found a little, you know, looking back, I actually found a little flimsy, if I'm honest. I think seven minutes and a, uh, 7.40 and a minute, and a, sorry, and a lap to go is a reasonable amount of racing, I'd say, to, to restart an event. Uh, but actually, you know, it, it wasn't in the end. And, you know, I find that I found that difficult. There was a lot of, I suppose, you know, inevitable conspiracy theories flying around about TV time and so forth. I asked Scott about that. And, and obviously he said that was that's never under consideration. You, you hope it wouldn't be for restarting a race. Um, it seemed to be a combination of genuine safety concerns. Uh, but as I said, you know, I, I think a, a raceable track wasn't far off uh, after that that red flag situation so uh, a shame in a way but then of course you've got the other argument of well you know Cassidy and the front three are taken out by an act of God um, and it goes back to the penultimate um, lap of the race and from that point of view that's probably fair uh, so yeah not an easy one to sort of make a final decision on I just I just found the circumstances and the environment after the race um, very uh, you know, was was presentable to a, a conclusion of the race. Mitch, I'm sure you were, were gagging to get back out there and conclude the race. Was your opinion sought by anyone? Yeah, I mean, you know, as, as Sam touched on um, a few points there, like, you know, obviously I think they made the right call, red flag in the race after, you know, multiple cars, you know, making contact, at, you know, pretty heavy impact. Um but, you know, as you know, Sam touched on with the weather, okay, well, red flag for like 15 minutes. The the rain had stopped completely. It was very hot, humid there, so the, tr- the track was drying up very quick. Um, there was no attempt to bring out the safety car to do some to, to do some laps to see if the track was, uh, you know, in a raceable condition. Um, there was just nothing that, that jumped out that would, you know, there was no barrier damage. There was obviously Tech Pro, but that's easily replaceable. Um, so you just try and go down the list of, of reasons why. Yes, the guys got unlucky, you know, that got caught in that weather. But, you know, I got unlucky. You know, a few of us got unlucky in, in, um, in qualifying when the rain came down. And, you know, what are we meant to do? Restart qualifying um, or, you know, you know, cancel qualifying? I don't know. It just with that amount of laps to go, eight laps to go, seven minutes left plus one lap, it just was, was too premature to, to end it, um, in my opinion. Obviously, I would have benefited from it, but just looking from a complete sporting point of view, I just I don't understand the the call from from, from them. So um, obviously very disappointing for us because we were going to salvage a really strong result. 
with um, a few of my title rivals, you know, in in the wars. So they got they were obviously able to to salvage you know some good points. Um, you know, obviously, I think Nick he, he deserved to to win the race because you know in terms of um, you know he he led the whole way and he was looking like he was probably going to to win. So I'm, I'm happy that he got his first win, but you know, just just uh, I think as a, as a full picture, it just it just seemed wrong. Um, for them to, to, to do what they did, so um, and the and the and the answers, the explanations seem very vague and just not really thought out. So um, yeah, I heard even like even with the with the podium, you know, that was already you know the TV broadcasting that wasn't even being broadcast because it was it was already past the the broadcasting time. So um, oh yeah, on on Eurosport they just cut away uh, they, exactly, they, and they were sort they were sort of dragging them onto it, and then that was it. Yeah, so I mean, it just like, imagine if you're a new fan, you're watching the race, you see the top, you know, the top guys buried in the wall. You know, obviously, you know, I'm not saying they, they, you know, they, they could have avoided it, but they, they, they're obviously heavily damaged. And then, you know, 15 minutes later, they're spraying champagne. It's just like that just seems wrong, in my opinion. Um, okay, if it's a lap to go in different circumstances, okay, it's it's um, it's maybe a little bit different, but. With the amount of time he had left, I think it was it was far too premature to, to make that call. So, um, yeah, strange one. The the irony of it was that it was such an early start to the race as well. It started at one o'clock local time, so it's not as if you know it's not as if it's a night race and there's um, there's there's curfews or there's uh, there's pressures on that front. Um, so yeah, I, I sort of share Mitch's surprise on that one, and uh, I did, like I said, I did find some of the some of the reasons and rationale a bit a bit on the flimsy side um some other things that drew some quizzical looks sam were the subsequent penalties that came from it because obviously those three cars were all heavily damaged which required various components to be uh changed can you explain why somebody like cassidy had penalties for battery changes yet van dorn didn't mm, i can try if we bolt on an extra three hours of the podcast, but <laughs> ah, so yeah, the boring regulation bit. First of all, each car gets two electric um, motor generators, MGUs, two gearboxes, two inverters, one battery pack, and you're allowed to have one survival cell for the entire season. Now, in that shunt, both Van Dorn and Cassidy's tubs were cracked, so they had to change change to a new monocoques. Because that was a safety feature and the circumstances of the accident were taken into consideration, they did not take penalties for that. If you if you if you wreck your tub by being you know, by making a mistake in qualifying or or practice or the race and then subsequently for the, the next race, if it's a double header, you will take a penalty. But because of the circumstances, the tub there were no penalties for the tub. Now for the um, Cassidy penalty, what seems to have happened is that Cassidy's battery casing was cracked after the impact suffered um, when Van Dorn hit him in particular. So they took a spare battery and a spare battery radiator. He'd already had a change at Riyadh after he shunted in practice. So therefore, letter of the law took a penalty. Now, the more ex- existential question, if you want, is should a driver who's been hit by another competitor in such extreme circumstances which were taken into account by the FIA because of the, the chassis change, be penalised for a component change. That's a whole fresh debate. You know, that's something that I actually don't think is particularly fair. If you are saying in one accident, some parts of the car, it's okay, you don't get a penalty because of the circumstances, but the others you do, 
that's confusing at best, isn't it? And I think that certainly needs a look at. But st- sticking with the regs, in fact, for a moment, Van Dorn and Buemi, uh, Buemi had some some gearbox, um, sorry, some battery damage. They were offered spare batteries by McLaren Applied because they'd gone over the 15G tolerance when they, they were hit. There's a sensor which flashes up and they have to be looked at and changed. What isn't completely certain is how the pool of spare batteries was allocated on Saturday night. Um, I'm told through Mercedes that they didn't use a spare unit in their car for Van Dorn um, and therefore didn't take penalties. Um, Nissan, I'm not absolutely sure. I've not got any clarity on Nissan, whether they used a spare or not. Um, Envision did, and ultimately it was really hard on Envision who subsequently petitioned the decision for that penalty. And it was only made public after Cassidy had got pole. Now, for me, that's problematic. And I and I think that's just a, another bad luck for the championship that Nick goes out, puts in that mega lap for his second pole, his third in total at New York, and then he's told live on TV that he's got the pole, that he's lost the pole and he's pushed to the back of the grid. I mean, it was it was a hard watch that. It was just pitiful, really. You know, Nick's, Nick's made to look a bit, a bit daft as he's told that live on there. Intriguingly, the race had a part to play in the official petition, which was put in on Saturday night or Sunday morning, rather. We acquired a film of the incident. Thanks, Hugo. Hugo Morales, who's a, who's a friend of the show. And it clearly showed that Van Dorn caused the damage by sliding into to Cassidy. That, in turn, that video was used as new evidence to the FIA in Envision's petition, which is allowable through an article of the International Sporting Code. That was subsequently thrown out, and Cassidy's heartbreak was compounded with the penalty. So he ended up at the back of the grid. Not only that, but because he couldn't take the penalty of 30 places, he then had to do a drive-through in the race. So he, you know, his, his whole day was written off. Even thirty places, he was starting from Manhattan Island, wasn't he? Yeah, he was starting from Wall Street, and uh, you know, it's just, it was just, I thought, a particularly wretched scenario in an incident. Which, you know, on one hand, you say, "Oh well, you know, there are circumstances, and there are, you know, it was an act of God, or whatever you want to call it." And and then the next, you're saying, "Well, the guy's actually got a thirty place grid penalty, and his his race is is written off." But actually, nobody knows it until he's qualified on pole. I mean. That that isn't in my mind. That isn't a good look for the championship at all. And um, yeah, it was a whole a whole mess, a whole big mess. What was a what was a good look though was that race winning drive from Cassidy in in that first race. It, you know, he's had a he's had a tough season. Maybe not had a great deal of luck, but that was a a very impressive performance. Huh? Yeah, it was. Yeah, he did a, he did a fantastic job. And you know, Nick's had one of those seasons where he's been uh, you know you feel as though he is on the cusp of something big but we've been saying that for two seasons and it's never quite happened hasn't always been his fault in fact most of the time it isn't his fault it's just circumstances he's mega at, at red hook you know he was he got a pole last season he got a podium last season he's just really good around there they had the envision racing team had a big regrouping after marrakesh they'd had these three races berlin um, marrakesh and jakarta where they just you know they they were also rounds They've had lots of engineering changes in that team this season, and it's. I think there's some short-term pain and hopefully long-term gain for what they're building there. But you know, they they, they did they did come under some fire um, by, by by us and, and others after uh, Marrakesh because it was the third event where they just didn't turn up, and they've they've never had that before. Envision have always been an Envision Virgin, as they were known, have always been a force. You know, they've always been in the, with a chance of a podium at least, if not victory. And that you know they were just 
lower midfield at those three races. So Nick fought back. I think he's shown pace and potential, as I said, this season. It all came together in New York and he was just on it. You know, even in the rebuilt car, he said to me on Sunday that even in that car, which was completely rebuilt for Sunday, he just felt so on it that, you know, it was no question in his mind that he wasn't going to start from pole. Unfortunately, as we've discussed, that was taken away from him. But I think when he reviews and appraises what he achieved at the weekend, I think he can be he can be pretty proud and he can actually be very positive looking forward to the last two events in London and Seoul because I think, you know, they're going to be the Audi's final races of the season. Um uh, of of the championship sorry it's the last time we're going to see an Audi racing in the championship and I think they've got a very good chance of getting in the mix and you know just dis- disrupting and disturbing the, the title battle because they if they achieve what they did in New York they're you know they, they're potential winners for sure. Mitch was it nice to see a fellow Kiwi up on the top of the podium? 100% um, look I've, I've grown up with Nick I've known Nick Nick since I was six back in uh, Mount Wellington Go-Kart Club in Auckland um and yeah, we've both come a long way and, and he's obviously achieved some amazing stuff, you know, throughout his, uh, his career and obviously a lot in Japan. And, um, you know, he obviously entered formally and, and made an impression straight away, but that first win is always, is always so difficult to achieve. And, um, he's come close, you know, as, as you guys touched on, you know, last year and Red Hook, he came very close to, to victory. Um, so it's, you know, from to obviously you know get two poles and 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 his first victory was uh, was great to see. So um, yeah, I think uh, there's been a big turnaround with that team, and um, you know that were definitely probably the benchmark over over the course of of both days in in uh, New York. So um, I'm expecting big things for the remainder of the of the season with them. Now, Mitch, we can't have you on this show and I'll talk about that incredible fight that you had with Nick DeVries, but more importantly that save which I think is probably the best save I've ever seen when you went down the inside hit the bump got thrown completely sideways yet somehow kept out the barrier Sam we might even call it Gordon Banks-esque uh, one for the, the zoomers there um <laughs> what was it like uh from you behind the wheel I guess it all happened in a, in a blink of an eye didn't it yeah massively um I just got well going back a little bit I actually just got um overtaken by him in a way that you know, I've obviously publicly come out and, and said that I wasn't impressed by by the move. Um, he was he was told to try and overtake me as soon as possible, um, obviously to try and help help Stoffel. And just the way he did it, I I, I really wasn't impressed about. And then um, so I was I was not best pleased behind the wheel, and um, so I wanted to get back past him as soon as possible because I felt like I had you know some serious pace to, to offer, and. Um, you know, it was, uh, yeah, then I, I opted to, to have a little crack down into, into turn six, but um, the pothole that I that I uh, made good friends with um, came by <laughs> um, un- unfortunate surprise. And, uh, yeah, actually, initially I just thought, like, like, what the hell is going on? Like, just try and gather the car up. But I thought, initially I thought I'm going down the escape route because it's the way the car wasn't really decelerating once it actually obviously made contact with the ground again. I was locked up and I thought, oh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm heading down the escape route and I'm going to be reversing back up and, and losing all these positions. But then the more I got to the escape route, I thought, no, I've, I've got this. I can, I can gather it up and I just try to get as much speed out of the car. 
And um, then the next phase was like, okay, who the hell's behind me? Is there anyone coming up behind me that, you know, will I keep my position? Then I, I, I noticed there was a bit of a gap. So I thought, no, nah, we've got this. It's all good. And then got out of turn, got out of turn six and, and seven. And um, I think every each one of my tires was like a 50 pence piece. So um, that was, uh, so I might have to go and see the, the dentist. But um, yeah, it was just a, a wild moment that just caught me by like a huge surprise. But yeah, it looked good. I don't want to do it again. I was going to say, have you watched it? Have you watched the video of it? I watched it a few times and I, I yeah. don't really want to do that again. But um, it was, <laughs> <laughs> it's made for good, some good um, highlight reels and, and uh, some social content. But let's, uh, let's not try and repeat that. That was, um, <laughs> that was just with how, how, like, how, how it caught me by surprise. Is, uh, it was, it was pretty, um, pretty horrible. But yeah, then obviously DeVries had exactly the same thing as me. Almost like copy and paste a few laps later. So uh, I was, yeah. It was like, and then you look back and you think, you know, how was that pothole like not being seen by, you know, the track inspections as well? So, well, that was going to be my next question because yeah. surely when you did a track walk or whatever, it must have been significant to make a car go that far in the air. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll be completely honest with you. Like, it wasn't really an area that I, you know, caught me by surprise. Obviously, you, you look at stuff that's on the sort of racing line, different potholes. We had a few drain covers out of, out of turn four and five. Um, and you always have sort of, you know, the, obviously these, these, um, these things with our street, street tracks we race on, but just where the position of, of that particular pothole was, was so, you know, so close to, um, inside barrier. Um, yeah, I just, I don't think anyone probably realized how severe it was and how deep it got, but, um, I think in the future it just needs to be looked at, uh, you know, in depth, you know, cause obviously, yeah, it's not a track, it's not a part of the track we, we, we drive on every lap, but you know, potentially, as we see, you, you can, you know, we, we, we try and utilize as much as these, you know, the, the formula tracks, you know, when we're, once we're racing each other because they're quite tight. So I think, yeah, just hopefully going forward, it's a bit of a lesson for the FIA to, to be able to, you know, scope out some of these, you know, um, obviously some potholes are totally fine to run over, but uh, ones like that aggressive, we need to, to learn from. No, Sam, I think it's fair to say on a few occasions on this show, we've talked about how Lucas Degrassi's qualifying pace was sort of undermining his uh, race performances um but he turned it turned back the years uh, for race one and, and missed out on pole by absolute whisker yeah he did he was uh, he was much improved in terms of qualifying uh, pace over the weekend and and he headed mortar on merit really for the first time this season although edo had a, a, a break by wire issue on on sunday in qualifying Lucas led for a short time in Saturday's race and, and like Cassidy and Van Dorn was on the podium despite being in the boonies in, at Team Turn 6. He was unlucky on Sunday as there was a, I suppose, a, a catastrophic team error in, in that they didn't get him uh, they didn't get him uh, in the qualifying session where they got caught out by the minimum time rule um, for the quali group and he only started 18th on the grid and then uh, he had that shunt with Vern, which, um, you know, incidentally, that um, gained Mortara point. who got 10th at the end of that. I thought he was, I thought Degrassi was actually lucky not to get a penalty um, for that. When you look at it, he squeezed, he squeezed Vern substantially on the exit on the right-hander and also took out an innocent Oliver Askew. So, you know, quite what you have to do for a, to get a penalty sometimes, you know, it's a, that's another t- a question for another time, I think. Overall, it was, his Degrassi's most competitive showing, I think, 
as a package, as a sort of double header for Venturi this season. We know he's only going to be there for one season. He's going to be heading off to, to Mahindra for next season. He was good at London last season as well in that, that infamous Luca, uh, Lucas loophole, copyright V2B on that one. So I, I could see him having a really strong end to the season, which is ironic because it's going to be his final races for Venturi. The big question then is, you know, will he be able to help Mortara in his quest to be world uh, drivers champion? That's, you know, that's one of the big questions, I think, heading into the last two races and a topic we, we discussed in the last podcast with uh, Ian James, didn't we? So, yeah, but all round, you know, it won't, won't, if he qualifies, well, the grass is in there. And as we know, when he's, you know, when the grass is in a fight, he comes out punching and um, he, he did so, he did so on Sunday and, and, and came out without a, you know, without a, a glove being laid on him by the stewards again. So uh, there you go. All very interesting. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Hi, producer Johnny here. Interrupting the show momentarily to tell you about Roan, a clothes brand we think you'd like. I don't know about you, but finding clothes you like can be tough. Sizes can vary from brand to brand, and fabrics can be poor quality or uncomfortable. We all know a good outfit can impact your confidence and help you feel your best, and that's where Roan comes in. Their range of stylish, functional, business casual menswear helps you look good without having to think about it. It's versatile, high quality and durable, and works in a range of social and professional settings. Roan's commuter collection includes products for every occasion, including the world's most comfortable pants, dress shirts, quarter zips, polos and blazers. It also features, and get this, wrinkle release technology and gold fusion anti-odor technology for more wears between washes, so you'll be fresh and clean all day long. Roan were kind enough to send me a shirt and some pants from the commuter collection, and I can tell they're going to be part of my wardrobe for a long time to come. The commuter collection could get you through any workday and straight into whatever comes next. Head to roan.com forward slash race and use promo code race to save 20% off your entire order. That's 20% off your entire order when you head to rhone.com forward slash race and use code race. It's time to find your corner office comfort. Mitch, um, the big change this year from previous seasons was is the qualifying format, and I think we all acknowledge that that's given us this fantastic championship where we've got well, it was four, maybe now three main contenders. But I'm interested from a driver's perspective how it's changed how the weekends work. Do you spend now that qualifying is so important? Do you spend a lot more time working on quali setups? How how does it differ from previous seasons? Yeah, it's um, it's changed things a lot. Um, and the approach to, to practice sessions, um, the run plans have changed quite a bit um, in combination with, you know, having shorter practice sessions as well. We, our FP1 now is only 30 minutes, not 45. So just that 15 minutes difference changes things a lot to try and prepare for the day. Um, the thing is, like, to try and divide up, you know, push laps at different powers and also race, you know, energy management laps um, is really difficult because, you know, we've seen in the races how how important to have, you know, the energy management under control. 
some of these last races with the battery temp management as well. Um, and in combination of that, you know, obviously we've got a whole new qualifying format where we don't just get one one shot at it anymore. We get, you know, obviously 12 minutes to do, you know, what we want. Um, so that normally you know, entails, you know, maybe two laps with a pit stop um, to change tyres at, uh, at race power at 220 kilowatts. Um, and obviously if you, if you progress through, you go to 250 kilowatts. So a lot of the focus is, 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 is done on, you know, the, the 220 kilowatts to try and, you know, optimize the, 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 the group stages. Um, it's made the group stages extremely tight because, you know, most drivers get two shots at, at the cherry to try and progress through. Um, and I think what we've seen a big difference between the, not only it being a lot fairer between, you know, compared to the previous format is, you know, some drivers in the past were very, very strong at going out and executing that lap on the first lap. And now, you know, some drivers are getting two shots at a slightly lower power. So that just naturally brings the field closer. And some of the margins are just, uh, you know, scary how close they are. So it's made qualifying, I would say, a lot fairer, but obviously a lot closer and a lot more stressful. So, um, but I've really enjoyed it. I think it's it's been a great addition. I think it's very engaging for people. Um, it's very exciting, you know, obviously with the, you know, the format with, you know, the jewels with the knockout stages. So I only can say positive things about it. Um, you know, it's not, it's not always worked out for us as a, as a team, but I think as a, for a championship, it, it's been a big support. I think it's, it's really difficult for the championship, you know, we've got different power levels and, you know, not, we're not, we're not sort of, um, as tire focused, you know, with compared to other championships with different, you know, multiple tire sets and different compounds and stuff. So to try and get something that sort of works, that's kind of fair and, um, you know, gives everyone a good shot is, is not easy. So I think we've found a good compromise this year. And um, I hope everyone, you know, that has, has been following formally since the start has, has seen, you know, you know, a good, um, good step up from, you know, from a, from a, you know, race day format with, with the, with the addition of the new qualifying format. So, um, yeah, so I, I'm a, I'm a big fan of it. Um, Sam, you mentioned that clash uh, between Degrassi and Jev, obviously in the first race, he was taken out with some damage from the opening lap. Uh, is he out of the championship fight now? No chance. No, no way. No way is he. Uh, he had a, he had a really poor weekend that's for sure you can't deny that um he looks a bit jaded at the weekend i don't know why that was um I, you know other drivers have been doing the triple header marrakesh monza and uh and new york but yeah he just looked a little out of sorts at the weekend he got caught out by that brief shower on saturday in qualifying as as as, as others did um then he got hit in that concertina effect at the sh- at the start with um, you know mitch had some contact with him but everything just just stopped and s- some got off uh, lightly more likely than others. Then on Sunday, he made a mistake in qualifying, hit the wall, uh, started way down the grid, 18th, I think he, it was. And then he had that scrap with Degrassi for the you know for the final few points. It was just a messy one. And to be honest, my take on it was that the incident, as I said, you know, Jeff did give Lucas some room more than Lucas gave Jeff some room. So if there was going to be a penalty, I think, again, just reiterating that I was surprised that there wasn't anything in that. Uh, neither of them turned up to the media pen so we didn't get their takes um immediately but it is known that jeff stormed out of the office of the uh, office of the stewards when it became known it was it was going to be a racing incident so it's uh, all got a bit dramatic 
uh, there. Uh, he left the circuit shortly after, so we didn't get his version of events. But anyway, it's it's over and done now. You know, it was the end. it was a bad end to a to a pretty wretched weekend. Um, again, you know, just in terms of, of of the sort of consistency of how the penalties are applied, I think. You know, Jeff has been quite vocal in his um, his concern about the some of the consistency with the 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 decisions that are made, and you know, I have some sympathy for him on that. I, with all with all due respect to Pedro Lamy, who's a fantastic driver and highly decorated sports car driver, and, and has raced at the highest level in, in F one. He's never sat in an F an FE car. Um, he's never been, as far as I know, an active driver within Formula E at all. Um, and he's he's not an active international driver anymore, too. You know, he's he's pretty much retired. I, f- I find the whole driver advisory selection a bit strange, to be honest. So, um, and we've you know I've written that several times. I, I think that needs to be looked at going into Gen Three. I I I tend to think a permanent or a couple of permanent driver advisors would be the way to go. It it just doesn't make a whole load of sense for me to have um, some of these some of these drivers filling that role. Um, but we'll see. I, you know, I think that would be a good part of Gen Three going forward. Now, Mitch, you're part of this three or four way title fight and been racing wheel to wheel with Jeff for many seasons now. How do you see it? Is is he is he still part of that battle, or is it just the three down to the three of you now? Oh, totally. He's he's definitely part of it. Um, there's a lot of points up for grabs. You know, these double headers can throw things up pretty quickly, um, for good or bad. So, um, you know, there's, you know, 100 plus points still up for grabs. So, um, yeah, he's, and he's, yeah, obviously he's had a tough weekend, but um, look, you know, one of us could easily have a tough weekend in London or in Seoul. So, look, he, he's still within striking distance. And I think any of us that are still within striking distance, um, you know, come, come into the last race, you know, probably into Seoul. You know, we've got a, a good, good shot. So um, he'll, he'll be there. He'll fight back. He's been strong all year. You know, DS have been very strong, especially in qualifying. So, um, you know, I, I'm expecting him to, to fight back um, next weekend in London. So talking of uh, DS Cheetah, they ended a long wind drought as uh, Antonio Felix da Costa took the win in race two to end 14 months without a win, Sam. But it was a consummate performance from him. Yeah, it was. I think da Costa has been back to somewhere near his best since probably around Monaco, I think. Um it's a major surprise that he wasn't really at the races in the first sort of three events of the season or as much as you expect him to be at the front. Um, but, you know, a driver of his quality will always come good and, and he's proved that in recent events. He was helped a little bit by by Alexander Sims and, and De Vries as well to some extent with um, been, been sort of corks in the bottle, so to speak, in in the Sunday race uh, and getting that gap on, being able to get a little gap to Van Dorn and, and Mitch too. But still, I think he had it reasonably under control. He had a lot of pace on Sunday and uh, and, and it's old. He's now won at Monaco and New York, arguably Formula 2's, uh, Formula 2, Formula E's two prestige events. So it's it's a decent return as, as his DS to Tutorstein comes to a close. He's he celebrated, I noted, by taking a dip in the Hudson. I reckon if he does that in London and does the same in the Thames, you know, I think uh, he's I think not going to Seoul. He's, he's definitely <laughs> not going to Seoul, and he's not getting through doping control, is he? So uh, let's hope he he's sensible and doesn't um, continue the aquatic uh, exploits in the Thames. Yeah, uh, Mitch, you had a, an action-packed drive to third. It looked like a lot of fun for where I'm sitting. But do you think you could have won it uh, if Sims hadn't put up such uh, a strong defence? 
honestly, I think I would have given it a good go. Um, I had the car speed to win, I think. Um, and I never really, uh, and I've said this publicly, I, I never say this lightly. And even in our debrief, you know, I'm very honest and realistic with, you know, how I feel paces during the race. And, and this is one of the races where I felt like I had, had the car to win. Um, obviously, we'll never know. But, yeah, I just obviously started a little bit further back compared to compared to Antonio. But I also sat on the dirty side of the track, which I then lost position to, to, to Jake Dennis at the start. And, um, you know, so obviously I had to, you know, progress through. I had to use my tire up a bit more to get him, Sete Kamara, DeVries, and then DeVries sort of was the one that I would say, you know, made life a lot harder for me. Um, and you know, obviously Sims was there on merit. He, he did a great job on Sunday. He, he knocked me out of the jewels. Um, you know, he was there, you know, on, on, on genuine pace. And then obviously he was hanging on. Um, he was a little bit down on energy and I think slightly, you know, compromised with battery temp. So he was, he was more on, on the, on the defense and offense. Um, and I was coming at him pretty quick, but uh, he defended well. And uh, I, f- I feel like if I, if I cleared him, the battle between us three would have been pretty pretty intense. So I guess we'll never know, but I, I feel like I had the pace to that I was maybe slightly stronger than the guys ahead. Um, because once I once I had the you know obviously the big moment with the bump, you know I lost you know a lot of, a lot of time, and I pretty much made it all back. Um, so. Yeah, it, the car was working well. So, um, yeah, but obviously I was super happy to see Antonio get his first first win. Um, but, uh, yeah, I would have I would have liked to be part of that fight towards the, towards the end of the race. Sam, we should talk about the previous points leader, Edo Matara. He slipped down after a pretty scrappy weekend by his recent standards. Yeah, it was. And it broke up some momentum he'd got from Berlin, Jakarta and Marrakesh, where he was magnificent. Um, it hurt him big time. He had a 14-point lead over Van Dorn heading into the Big Apple, but it's now he's now 11 points behind him. So a big swing there just at the wrong time of the season. He actually raced really well, to be fair, um, at the weekend, along with Mitch and Robin Frines was unlucky on Saturday that the race wasn't restarted. Although, you know, he did some need some attention to his car after his own moment in the um in the wall of water so um but he you know he, he got a penalty for spiking over the 50 kph rule as, as mitch mentioned earlier under the full course yellow which dropped him from fifth to ninth so he lost some points there which was a mistake on his part although you know has to be caveated by the the appalling conditions of course then a day later he grabbed a point uh got a point for 10th which was a tiny bit of damage limitation after some chronic break by wire issues in practice and qualifying so overall yeah bad weekend but i have a feeling um he'll be strong again in london i think he's um he's shown this season in the more hierarchical qualifying format that he's he's always there um and there's plenty of low speed corners at, at london as well so i'd say his style um and the way that he's so he's super good on those slow speed parts of tracks that he can head to, he can head to London um, reasonably confident that it was just a blip, and he'll be back right back in contention for for a title fight with Mitch and, and Stoffel, and, and obviously Jev as well, a resurgent Jev. I actually think that if you can head to Seoul within twelve points of whoever the leader is going into Seoul, you're, you're in the game. You know, you're, you're up for it. And um, I think as long as you stay within that bracket, then um, anything's possible. At a, at a completely new challenge in Seoul so uh, yeah so much to look forward to 
Right, I think it's time for a few honourable mentions. Uh, Mitch, in race two, your teammate Sam Bird uh, drove a brilliant charge and drive, making up over a dozen places to take fifth. <clears throat> he needed that result, didn't he? Yeah, he um, yeah he he had an amazing race actually. Um, you know, both cars are working really well, and and you know we, we know what Sam's like in the races. He's uh, he's one of the best overtakers out there. He's always very strong. Unfortunately, just in quality, he, um, he 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 couldn't. You know, after being quickest in, in FP3, he couldn't um, yeah put it together as 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 much as he would have liked. I think he got caught out a bit with Jeff hitting the wall and and uh, couldn't complete his lap properly. So um, he started out of position, but had a storming drive because um, after I had my moment with the with the pothole, I saw my mirrors. He was you know he was he was right there. So I was like, okay, this is good and. You know, you know, obviously he's had he's had, he's had a bit of a up and down season, and um, you know, and he's he's aware of that. And you know, this, this result Sunday as a whole was, uh, you know, obviously aside from qualifying, it was was a really positive day for him. And and um, you know, with a guy like Sam, only takes one one result like that, and he'll be he'll be back to his best. And I, I think we saw saw that. So um, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing what he can do. Obviously, we're in a in a, in a teams fight as well with um, with the with the top guys and in, in the team championships. So, um, you know, hopefully, you know, for the, for, for next weekend and so he can be up the front scoring some big points for the team, but it was, uh, no, it was great to see him get, get fifth on the weekend. Excellent. Sam, you did a, uh, a fantastic interview with Alexander Sims, uh, which you can find on the hyphen race.com. Um, and that drive to fourth was a timely reminder of just what a good driver he is. Absolutely, absolutely was. He he drove a great race. Um but it's you know, equally it's very frustrating at the same time for for lots of reasons, mainly because um as he said in that interview, when things do come together with that Mahindra, no one they don't know why. Uh, the inconsistency in getting to the sweet spot of it just must be maddening for him and, and, and Roland uh, this season. This weekend it was Roland who really wasn't in the game, you know, he just didn't seem to be there at all. And on on Sunday, um, Sims he was, um, and he was mega, really, really quick, really strong, raced um, really efficiently. Um, and I thought he deserved, he, you know, you could argue he deserved a podium for what he what he did. He didn't quite achieve that, but still a very strong showing. The interview I did with him in Marrakesh kind of outlined some of those things, as I said, and in the in a sense, they just can't seem to understand how that Mahindra works and, and why it works and more often than not doesn't quite work on race pace. I think that reflects a, a, a lot of teams that actually outside the top four, you know, if we take the top four of Jags, DS, Merck and Venturi, which I think has been the case this season, like Mahindra, the true midfield of them, Porsche, Envision and Andretti, it's just been so scatty in terms of them getting big points. That's the difference between mounting a championship campaign, isn't it? Race in, race out for strong points this season while minimising the bad days. It's only those four top teams that have really minimised those bad days. You know, although you know Jags have had one in in Mexico, Venturi in in, in Rome, but they've they've able to they've been able to actually not have you know they have very few of those days. Whereas the midfield bunch, although quick on occasion and you know, winning on occasion as Envision have proved and Porsche just don't have the consistency. And, and it's all about that this season. So, uh, yeah, but, but Simsy, <clears throat> excuse me, Simsy certainly, I think, you know, shows that he is certainly, you know, he should be in Formula E. 
Um, and I think it'll be a big miss that he isn't there. But he's had a couple of very tough season and seasons and, and explained some some of the reasons why in his in his interview, which was uh, like yeah, like you say, was was just terrific. You know, just allowing somebody to speak their mind on a on a difficult decision is um, you know is what we uh, what we enjoy doing. So, but it'll be it'll be yeah, it'll be very sad to see him go. Other noteworthy performances included Sebastian Buemi taking sixth. Um, for one of Nissan's best results of the season uh, and Jake Dennis bagging a pair of eights for Andretti. Um, Sam, we also saw Sergio Sete camera qualify season best fifth for Dragon Penske, uh, even ran in the points for quite a large chunk of the race, but ultimately any hopes for a first top 10 of the season for him and the team faded away. Yeah, I I know it goes to script, doesn't it? I mean, some one lap pace, but Dragon ultimately just not having the the capability to put a, a race together and it plays out on the track race in race out you have to feel sympathy for for the team um for the for the staffers there and also for the drivers really bit of a hiding to nothing um I mean how often have we used that phrase this year for for Dragon Penske I thought Sete Camera was was mega throughout the weekend although he did blot his copybook on Saturday, but you know when that happens and he misjudged the final corner, he's absolutely wringing that that thing's neck. You know he's he's on it, so he, he ends up looking a bit foolish. But actually, without taking those chances, he's he's not going anywhere. So you got to feel for him on that respect. One lap pace, you know, will get you a, a headline grab for a few hours. But in twenty twenty two Formula E, that's about it. I think actually, what Formula E races now show is actually how poor that car is. Um, it highlights the fact so clearly that it is so far away from the rest and it's, um, it just must be so depressing for them to, to realise that's going to play out over race. I, I, you know, what, there isn't much good to say about, about, the, about that, that team and it isn't the team in the sense of the people who work for it, the people who are driving for it. It's just what they have delivered in that car and, and they're, they're really going nowhere. I just hope that Sete Camera gets a chance to be on the grid for next season. It'd be good to see him in, in something other than that, that car. Um, you know, hopefully Giovinazzi can reshape his career. I'm sure he will elsewhere in 23 as well, because frankly, at the moment, they're just, they're just wasting their time with that car. Now, Mitch, it appears that that was probably the last race we're going to have in Red Hook. Uh, is it a track you're going to miss? Oh, massively. I think just, uh, the, the whole event... Um, itself is 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 one of those um, the ones you look forward to, right? I'm, I'm in New York City. It's one of the most insane cities in the world. To have the the privilege to race here is is um, is amazing. Uh, I think I think that you know it's it's a it's quite a quirky little track, very tight, twisty, but always seems to throw up some drama as we saw on the weekend. But even historically, um, it's always it's always been like quite a entertaining race even though it's you know on paper it's actually not one of the it's relatively difficult to overtake um yeah obviously there's it's not on the calendar for next year as of as of today so that brings definitely some sadness um maybe they can find some some solutions to that but uh yeah i think for everyone that you know that's part of the championship enjoys going there You you know it's in brooklyn but you know new york is has got so much to offer and um, it's really a hot, you know a highlight event for for the championship. So um, if if we can't go back there, hopefully we can stay stateside somewhere in another big city, um, like in Miami or, or the West Coast would be incredible. But um, yeah, to lose to lose New York would be would be a, a real shame. Sam, how are things looking on the US race front for next season? 
Um, some op- options have been explored. Obviously, the, the chief one is to try and somehow make um, continue at, at Red Hook. Um, but, I, you know, I think I think the chances from what I gauged in the paddock are, are kind of 50-50 at the minute, whether they can do that for next year. What we did reveal on the hyphen race last week was that um, St. Petersburg, the IndyCar circuit, is being looked at as one possibility for next season, probably the weekend after the IndyCar race in March. So it could take that TBD slot, which um, we presume was for Sanya if we could go to China. But that looked... I thought that was um, really interesting when you broke that news, uh, Sam, because I went to the IndyCar race this year and I came back saying this would be absolutely perfect for Formula E. It doesn't have the cachet of New York, absolutely not. But in terms of... The town absolutely gets it, right? Every everywhere turns into a, a place where race fans are hanging out. They're spilling out onto the streets, and there's a genuinely great vibe about it. It's quite a small place, but I think the nature and layout of the track would be ideal for Formula E. Um, maybe it just doesn't have enough kudos, but I think if they could pull that off, it would be a really decent substitute. Yeah, I agree. And, and even if it is just for a, a season, just to tidy tidy us over in the States, I mean, the, the clear thing is Formula E absolutely needs to be in the US, at least one race, ideally two. I think California is the holy grail for Formula E for lots of reasons, um, not the least that the EV industry is, or big part of the global EV industry is is in California. So, um, yeah, I mean, St. Pete's would be great next year, but at the same time, I, I enjoy going to to New York so much. Um, it would be a big shame not to be in uh, be in Brooklyn. Um, but we'll have to see. I'm told that there are options, but St. Petersburg certainly is one of the options. Michael Andretti told told us last Friday that uh, he'd be quite happy to to have that IndyCar and Formula E double header, not at the same event, but the week after, and it would all work quite quite nicely. So it would, I think, if they can get that together next March, it would then see how that goes, and then um, and then look at options further down the line. Cool. Well, fingers crossed for that. So looking forward now, uh, Mitch, London next up, home race for uh, Jaguar Racing. Um, I'm sure they'll have lots of guests in tow. So what are your thoughts ahead of that one? Yeah, I mean, London obviously was the first time we we uh, went there last year. It's a big one for us, home home race for for, for team, which is um, always important to try and do well. But obviously now with the tension building up with the with the championship, you know, adds that extra element to it. Um, everyone in the company, you know, I'm actually at HQ right now up in Gaydon um, to see uh, employees and and some of the some of the um, senior management here. So um, yeah, everyone's pumped up, and obviously with the race coming up next weekend, everyone's very excited. Um, but yeah, it's it's uh, another sort of let's say quirky uh, location and, and circuit um, with the element of going into outdoor, big surface differences in terms of grip levels, um, to modifications as well to the track. We've we've lost those two um, very tight uh, hairpins, which I think is, is a, a good move. Um, so yeah, I'm on the sim tomorrow for for that, and I'm looking forward to getting you know getting out there and and, and obviously you know obviously trying to continue our, our, our run of form so uh yeah last year we got a podium we, we seemed quite competitive so hopefully we can obviously uh we can continue that so um yeah a big weekend i think it's gonna be a big turnout um another big event for formally so uh looking forward to it they've made a couple of tweaks to the layout of the track especially those sort of seems like about 20 hairpins that led onto one another what what do you make of the changes yeah, I'm, I'm yet to drive it on the sim. Um, that'll be that'll be tomorrow. But from what I've seen, I think it's um, definitely the right move. You know, I think 
yes, hairpins should be able to create overtaking, but just the way they were sort of designed, it just seemed a bit extreme. And even to drive, like on one lap, it just it just seemed a bit over the top. So um, it created a lot of carnage, you know, with, with these cars and quite a long nose. When you get quite an aggressive um, radius like like those two hairpins, it's very easy to make contact, um, as you see in, in, in most races, but I think those were particularly bad. So, yeah, um, I'll have to come back to you in terms of what the changes are like because um, – just because of uh, you know I've not I've not actually driven on the sim yet so but as from what I've seen it looks positive which is uh, which is really encouraging and, and hopefully it just produces good racing it's and and for us as drivers it's enjoyable to drive. Now Sam, we've barely mentioned that Stoffel van Dorn has now taken the points lead uh, across this podcast. He was fast but unlucky in London last year. Is uh, is he the man to beat? He's one of them. Yeah, <laughs> I mean he, he his, his New York was although obviously involved in the shunt on saturday he i think on sunday that that second place that he got was was again one of those drives where you know you could appraise it at the end of the season and look and go you know they rebuilt his car um they changed the tub he still got a second place and he was still solid and brought home big points got a big swing on on maltar in particular and um yeah you know i I, i'm loath to i'm loath to put favorite tags on any of the those four that we've mentioned but i think van Dorn was was good in london last season and it got wiped out by oliver Rowland, didn't he and you know you, you don't know what you, you simply don't know what's going to happen um at, at london with this unique inside and outside at the accelerine i mean it's, it's easy isn't it to get four seasons in one day um in terms of the weather in, in london this type time of season so we'll have to see but yeah van Dorn, i think is somebody who could emerge from London with a with a healthy points lead. But as I, you know, reverting back to what I said before, I see that sort of 10, 12 point buffer not unassailable going into a, a double header in Seoul in, uh, in a few weeks' time. Well, I think that's a, a great way to wrap up the show. A huge thanks to Mitch for joining us. Uh, we wish you all the very best of luck for the rest of the season. Um, I'm actually about to go on holidays, which means I'm going to miss the London race uh, and the next podcast. But fear not, listener, we've got a great replacement lined up. Some might say considerably better, but I'll leave that to you to be the judge of. Um, keep an eye on thehyphenrace.com for Sam's latest paddock news and stay safe in the heat. Goodbye. The Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. 
Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. 